0: To be able to take it to that next level, that's what I'm excited about. Mills quick pass,
1: Nico at the 5, Nico in the end zone, the dagger!
0: And Grenard with the sack, back at the 25-yard line. Touchdown, Houston! Rock and roll! Tremont Smith, coast to coast.
2: There is no off-season for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All All Access.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome into this TGIF edition of Texas All Access. Yes, thank God it is Friday. Throw another F in there because it's a football Friday. Throw another F in there if you want to be crass, and I usually do, but I can't say the other F on radio, so we'll just leave it as, thank God it's football Friday, and welcome in. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and looking forward to weekend in a couple days and uh, seeing what is uh, still I'm sure have some house projects to do, and you don't really care about that. What you care about is football, and we're going to talk about football tonight. In the lab, that's on tap for sure. Uh, Drew and I talked about OTAs. We talked about a lot of different things uh, in the lab, but we're going to kick this show off with the general manager of your Houston Texans, and we hit on a number of different topics, including Top Gun Maverick. How about that? I can confirm that Nick Casario has seen Top Gun Maverick. I was shocked when he said he'd seen it, it, but I was glad that he did. We had a chance to talk about that. That was fun. Mark's got to see it. Mark, come on. Let's go. Well, Mark, come on. Let's go. It's time to talk with Nick Casario. We talked about OTAs. We talked about Team Speed. We talked about Top Gun Maverick. All that right here with Nick Casario. Let's go.
0: Joining us now at Texans Radio, it's Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, it's been a while. I don't think we've spoken since the draft, so welcome back to the studio
3: Great and to be here. Always. <laughs>
0: Tell us how it's going prior to the mini camp and OTAs wrapping up. How do you see things?
3: Yeah, no, I think we've uh, we've certainly made some progress here from the start of the off season program, beginning of April to where we are now. Um, have a few, you know, a few days left here next week with the mini camp. Probably be an extension of some of the things that we've done here over the last, you know, however many weeks. Um, there's certain rules and parameters in place. We have a little more time with the players during mini camp, but. I'd say overall, like, we've had a productive spring. Uh, we've had a fair amount of players on the field. I mean, we've had basically the entire team here working, um, and we've made progress, inflation in the system, though offensively and defensively, a lot of carryover in a kicking game. Um uh, able to incorporate some of the younger players, some of the new players, so give everybody an opportunity to kind of work together. So we're making progress, I think, kind of putting the foundation in place and get ready to go for training camp is the most important thing, and we're heading the right direction.
1: I think when we talked to you after – Right after the draft, we were talking about positions. Maybe you need to have a chance to draft. We talk about edge and like, hey, man, got
3: there might be a few things
1: in the works. And we find out that there were some things in the works. Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes, you bring them along, obviously, with Rasheem Green. And, Nick, I've watched those two guys and how they interact with younger players. How valuable was the experience factor of two guys like Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes?
3: No, it's been really impressive. You know, Mario hasn't necessarily been practicing, but yeah. he's been very involved. And when you play against players from afar, you don't, you, you see what they do on the field, how they play, their pro- level of productivity. Say, speaking specifically to Mario, Mario goes back to Lovey in Chicago, and Mario wasn't drafted, and now here's a player who's been in the league, you know, 10, 11 years, however long it's been. He's had a really good career, and there's a reason that he's made it to this point. You, A, obviously have to a certain level of skill, And then, B, there's some other things that go along with it to making yourself a productive player. And he showcased those things or had those qualities, I would say, in Chicago. And then even going back to Buffalo, you know, when when I was in New England, you know, between Hughes and Addison, you know, we had to see those guys twice a year. Um, I'd say they were both kind of pains in the asses, you know, on the other side of the ball, you know, to block. I'd say in Hughes, I mean, there's a reason that he's had the longevity that he's had. I'd say his overall day-to-day professional and his approach, how he prepares – his thought process, and he's not – we've talked about this at different points, too, about leadership. What yep. is leadership about? How does leadership manifest itself? And I'd say in both of those players' case, they're not necessarily vociferous and loud, but they make a huge impact in terms of their actions. And then when they back that up, they back their words up with their actions. And then if you're a younger player and you see that and you say, you know what, these guys have been in the league for 12 years, 12-plus 12 years for a reason, there's a number of factors that win into it. So having those players in the building – Um, Just kind of working with the group. Um, Again, Mario has been a presence at practice, even though he hasn't necessarily been involved, but he's down there with Jock's Drills, and they're working with each other. They're talking about technique. They're talking about different things. So I'd say that overall group, I mean, there's, I don't know how many, 15, 16 of them that are down there. Um, Some, most of them are working, but the way they interact, the way they communicate, you know, with Jock and Kenyon, I mean, the way that they work together, you know, it's been, it's been fun to watch.
0: Nick, we know improving the running game is a huge priority for the franchise. In OTAs, what have you seen? And what can you really tell from OTAs about how that's going so far?
3: Yeah, it's a good point, Mark. The the run game is always hard in the spring to really get a true assessment of where it is. But you want to see, A, do the players know who to block? What's the distribution of blockers? Are they making the appropriate – is the back making the appropriate read? Do they understand how the play is blocked? Do they understand where the play is designed to go? And that takes repetition. So the more that you're able to do that against, I would say, moving targets on the other side. And the tempo is controlled in practice. Like we're very specific. Take two steps and kind of pull off or stop. You'll have the opportunity in training camp to finish. We want to avoid collisions. We want to just avoid kind of harm's way if we can. But in terms of the course, in terms of the angle, in terms of the distribution of the blockers, If we have to run a play against a certain front, okay, if we have, you know, run, run, check, all right, run this play if they give us this look, run this play if they give us another look, the communication, the mechanism to get that information out. So I'd say from that perspective, Mark, it's been helpful to be able to go out there and more work on the timing and the execution. The physical component, the physical nature, that will manifest itself, you know, a little bit more in training camp. But the run game is always hard to – you want to work on it because you still have to get a foundation, how we call the play, what's the play called. What's the play called? What's the, the blocking pattern? What do we call that? What, what, How does the communication go from the center of the guard, the guard to the tackle, the tackle to the tight end? Is it a trade block? Is it a double-team block? How are we handling this look? Say, so those are things you can still sort of, I would say, work on despite there not being in contact.
1: You love it when I ask questions about rookies. So I'm going to ask <laughs> questions about the second-year guys because the one thing that I have learned probably more than anything else – We could talk – Lovey's talked about the rookies. Yeah, I know he, has. <laughs> he has. But you always talk about the, the – rookies in their second year and it's not so much the second year but it feels like spring practice going into their sophomore year davis nico and that group what have you seen from that group that you like the fact that they step in here don't know anything go through a season now they're into the second this off season where they've been around, they kind of know where everything is, and now they're starting to develop into veterans at that point. What do you see for the second-year group, Davis, Nico, Roy, et cetera?
3: Yeah, let's say overall they're just more comfortable with everything that comes along with being an NFL player. So they've been able to kind of go through the full year, what works, what doesn't work, what's my routine. Okay, this segment of the year, what are the things that are important? What can I work on this particular day? Am I making strides in a weight room? You just have an overall, I would say, familiarity, with even though we've had some changes in the building, yeah. on the staff. Familiarity with the program and the the nuances of the day to day. So from that perspective, perspective, I mean they've done you know they've done a really good job. I don't want to speak specifically on one player, but I'd say Garrett Wallow's probably done as well as any player on the team from the time that he walked in the building to where he is in the spring. I mean he's learned all three linebacker positions. He has a role in the kicking game. He's made strides in the weight room. He just looks like a different player. So there's a player you look and say this guy looks like he's putting a lot of time. He had an opportunity to play. He's trying to take advantage and build on some of the things that happened, you know, last year. I'd say there's a good example of kind of that year one to year yep. two transition. And really they they, they walked in the building, call it a year ago at this time. Yep. That's when they really just walked in the building and said, okay, this is NFL football. So now having gone through that, they've gotten a lot of reps and all of them, um, all five of the guys that have played have been on the field. So they've been out there, they've practiced So if you're out there in your practice, then you can improve, and you're seeing that, I would say, from all five players.
0: Well, Lovey has talked about the rookies, but let's talk about the group at large, Nick, because I know not everybody can be out there right now, but you're seeing some things so far, some flashes, things like that. Can you speak to that?
3: Yeah, I think each day you're seeing some different things from different players. Um, The the most important thing is is, for any player is the players – that are in the NFL, a lot of them are here because they all have the ability and you can do it on a day, you know, one day, one guy can make a play. Can you do that consecutive days, consecutive plays? Can you start to stack them together? And I'd say you're starting to see that from some of the the rookies and the younger players. So I'd say as a group overall, their attitude has been really good. They've worked really hard. They've kind of are starting to understand the expectation on a day-to-day basis. And the, the idea is to go in there and take advantage of your opportunity whenever you're on the field, whatever repetitions that you have. Everybody's getting reps this time of year. If you go for the rep chart, I mean, it's pretty well distributed across positions. So when your reps, your opportunities come, go in there. Okay, does he execute his assignment? Does he know what to do? Okay, is there production that goes along with it? Okay, if we had an issue on the play, what happened? Does he understand it? Can he come back? Can he self-correct? So I'd say from that perspective, I mean, however many rookies we have in total on the field, there's 20 of them. Most of them have been out there for the majority of the time. There's a few that are at different stages that are doing different things. But overall, I'd say they're making progress. Um, it looks like they're hopefully going to be prepared for training camp when we get started here in a few you know, in a few months.
1: Nick, one of the areas that Lovey talked about pre-draft, and it was funny because Lovey can he'll be honest. I mean, he won't say anything bad, but he'll be honest. And he was asked about the secondary. He said, look, the secondary has to be better. I know we're only into OTAs, but you drafted Derek Stingley. You drafted Jalen Petrie, added some of the pieces, brought some pieces back. As you look at the secondary right now, how do you like the progress and what are the things that you'd like to see that secondary do maybe even better?
3: Yeah, it's always hard in the spring. You know, you kind of – your assessment of where your team is, but we feel that we've improved the team overall, that, you know, we have you know decent depth. I would say the thing about the secondary that probably stands out, you know, there's especially a corner. I mean, it's a group that's – that's long, that has some yeah. length, It's big, and they're fast. Yep. So you see the speed show up on the perimeter, whether it's Sheffield, whether it's Moreau, whether it's Ike, Edom. So all the, you know, and T.T., you know, he had not been out there, but we know he's fast, so yep. I would say the secondary looks like there's, you know, there's some speed in that group, yep. both with the corner group and the safety group. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been active and productive, getting their hands on the ball. I mean, Stingley hasn't been on the field yet, but I would say he has some of the measurements that are similar to size and speed that some of those other players have. Um, I'd say it's been a pretty competitive group between the corners and the safeties as well you know not the transition of the safeties but you know guys like Terrence who were here last year brought on MJ Jalen's been out there you know J.O.'s been out there practicing so I mean overall it's a pretty I would say competitive group so can we carry some of the things that we've done here in the spring to the field and or call it real live settings but I mean overall I think you know we're fairly pleased with the progress that some of those players are making and you know we'll see how that transpires here in training camp.
0: I know wherever you go around town, grocery store, whatever, not buying carbohydrates, uh, I know that people ask you, how's Mills looking? So what's your answer? How's Mills
3: looking, Nick? I thought you were going to say they ask you about your vest. <laughs> well, they do. I, noticed, I'm I, sure. did, I didn't wear it today. I knew this was coming, so I left it at home.
0: You could have been on brand just like I could,
3: Nick. I know
1: I could have been, but no. uh
3: yeah, I'd say the quarterback group overall has, has done a nice job. Um they've taken a lot of reps. Davis has taken a lot of reps. Mm-hmm. Uh I'd say he's made progress. I think the biggest thing this time of the year, with the quarterback, is the things that you can work on are your decision making, your anticipation, and then just trying to assimilate game situations. All right, this situation comes up, how am gonna handle it? how are we gonna handle this situation? What's the right throw, you know, versus like trying to do too much with the ball? And I think there's been some plays, there's been, you know, a number of good plays, and there's been some plays where you look and to say, you know what? all right, we'd like to have that back. Let's go back and take a look at it and then have a discussion. Hey, here's what happened. What did you see? All right, next time, let's make sure we do this. So being able to transition from one play to the next, being able to understand what are some of the corrections, what are we trying to accomplish on the play, I'd say those are the things. He's certainly probably more comfortable and ahead of this year where he was last year with good reason. I think he's thrown – I mean, we just went through the rep chart. I mean, there's been – He's he's had almost like 300 attempts, mm-hmm. you know, which is a lot of throws yeah, right. in the course of a spring. I'm talking about in a team setting, not right. like throwing a bunch of routes. So you know he's taking a lot of throws against a lot of defense. You know, you guys have been out of practice. We run call almost 60 plays in a practice. So that's 60 plays to not all of them are passes, but right. 60 plays be able to watch them. All right, what happened on a play? What's the coverage? I say one of the things that our defense has done a really good job of is the disguise element. They've done a great job pre-snap. It's one thing, and then a lot of it is just understanding, okay, when the ball is snapped, okay, what happens? And being able to anticipate and be able to see, okay, what's my uh, you know, what's my answer? If they do this, we're going to do this. So I think seeing those things in real speed, is this is the opportunity to do it. And I'd say to our defense's credit, they've done a nice job, put some stress on the offense, but it's a great learning opportunity.
0: He told us that sometimes this time of year, this is the time of year to try some things that you might not try in a game. How do you want to see players balance that kind of thing? Because it does make sense, but you have to get ready for the real thing at the same time.
3: It's a it's a delicate balance. So as long as you understand the why behind it, okay, have a play, mm-hmm. something happen on the play, whatever the decision is, all right, why did I make that decision? Okay, what are my alternatives? Okay, you know what, the right thing is this. Okay, as long as you understand that and then the application behind it, that's the key. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I saw what happened on the play. All right, I'm just trying something, oh, I'm going to do it different. But if you start to see a pattern of behavior – and the same action behind it Well, you haven't self-corrected it. So mm-hmm. don't be an error repeater. You want to go ahead and try something, or you think it's going to work, or maybe you try to fit a ball in a tighter window. Okay, you know, is that the right thing to do? Well, maybe not, but, you know, you want to see if, okay, if I put it here, what would happen? Or do I just go to the, you know, check down and go to mm-hmm. the next play? So those are things, like spring is spring. You sometimes try some different things, but you want to create good habits so that you Mm. carry those good habits when you're in – because when it happens – I mean, we're practicing, and the speed is one thing. Then you get in a game, things are going to happen even quicker, so you're not going to have a lot of time to think about it. You have to react. So have you built up your habits enough that you react and make the right decision? Mm. Nick, I know a guy
1: that's intriguing to a lot of Texans fans because in a playoff game in 2018, Marlon Mack danced all over that stadium and just destroyed us. Then he has two years where – He's hurt, and then Jonathan Taylor emerges, and so he's kind of stuck behind him. What gave you the the thought that, hey, Marlon Mack's still got something in the tank. I want to bring him here and see what he's got. He looks like he has some juice. What are your thoughts about bringing Marlon Mack into that running back group?
3: Yeah, Marlon's been good to work with. I mean, that room is it's a, it's a really good room. I mean, all six players, you know, it seems like each day they all do something that kind of forces you to go back and say, man, that was pretty good. Yeah. You know, whether it's Jed, whether it's Royce, I mean, Rex, I mean, everybody knows Rex and – but Rex still goes out there and does things, and you go, "Wow, okay, that was pretty yeah. good." And let's say Marlon's done the same thing, so he's got a good attitude, kind of quiet, you know, quiet kid, quiet guy. But he's healthy. I think he has confidence, and you kind of see it in spurts. You know, when he kind of has a little burst, of, you know, around the edge of the defense, and there's a little bit of crease, you can kind of get into that space. So you know, it's been he's been a good guy to work with. Um, you know, anytime you come back from a serious injury, it's always difficult, but. He's a few years removed from that. So, I mean, that last year, you know, theoretically was healthy. You know, he just didn't play because right. he's behind one of the best players in the league. And that's just the way that this goes sometimes. So, but looks like he still has some physical things going for him. So he's had been a talented player, you know, in the league here for a number of years. You know, we'll see how it translates into, you know, some of the things that we're asking him to do.
0: Well, we brought up some of the guys who are veterans that you brought along like jerry hughes for instance but the d line in general nick what are there 17 defensive 17. linemen and lovey's probably going to want to keep them all i would imagine <laughs> uh, but
3: and they're very we, we actually have more offensive players on the roster than <laughs> defensive players which he and i have had a chuckle about that at different points so it's been fun
0: but that as a group looks like they've got a lot of ability a lot of variety and it's going to be a tough
3: cut eventually sure yeah i think there's going to be a lot of competition i mean mm-hmm. really across the roster say the defensive side of the ball i mean the defensive line the linebackers we haven't even talked about that group but i mean it's that's you know looks like a pretty competitive group with a lot of depth between defense and the kicking game um, but the defensive line you know we're going to play a lot of defensive linemen you know each week we're going to mm-hmm. probably take eight or nine of the game they're all going to play so you want to have confidence and conviction about those players that you're going to put on the field so we know we'll take X to the game. We might have to carry a few extras either on a roster or on a practice squad. But, you know, let's say in, in Jock, the way they, they play defense in Buffalo, they played a lot of defensive players. I mean, they played eight to nine. So it's would say philosophically some of the same things. And we did the same thing last year. We played a lot of defensive linemen, as you, rec- as you recall. So trying to get production from a lot of players. And I think, you know, when you watch Jock, that group, it's about running the ball, max effort on every play and physically you can do that you know if you really want to exert full you know energy you know okay it's three four plays all right and then you got to catch your breath then come back and do it it's hard to just do that maximum effort eight nine ten plays in a row it starts to wear on you but if you have enough depth and you can roll another group in there then you know I think that's how we're ideally would like to be able to play
1: Nick I know the ultimate goal is to is to win a championship to win a championship, you have to have a certain type of team, a team that could beat all these different types of teams. And you look around, like to beat the Bills, okay, Josh Allen, they throw the ball around. The Chiefs are going to throw the ball around. A lot of teams are throwing the ball around. And then you look at our division, and you got to tackle Henry twice a, game, twice a year. you got to tackle Jonathan Taylor twice a year. And then you got to tangle with James Robinson and Travis Etienne twice a year. That's six out of 17 games where you're facing some of the better, if not the best, running backs in the league. How does that change, in some sense, the way – you might put this team together or how you've put it together to this point and will in the future?
3: No, it's a good question, John. Uh, I'd say you have to just look at your team, try to figure out what are the things that we think we want to be able to do. We have to be able to do them well. You're always cognizant of your opponent. You're always cognizant of what's going on in the division. But then you just have to figure out what gives us the best opportunity, the best chance to win on Sunday and structure the team accordingly. So Where the team is now currently, I'm sure there'll be some changes here by the time we get to the 53-man roster and then the practice squad as well. well. I think there's a certain way that we want to play. Lovey's talked about this, like the ability to be able to run the ball more effectively than we did last year. I mean, look, everybody, we didn't run the ball well enough. We really didn't do much of anything well enough. And we're all accountable for that. So we want to try to make some improvements in those areas. But I'd say offensively, Two jobs of the offense move the ball and score points. Like, however you do it, like, that's yeah. the goal. So, you know, there's situational elements that come up, like execution on third down. Then, once you get down to the red zone, can you score touchdowns instead of kicking field goals? And then, as you mentioned, defensively, you know, trying to tackle Taylor every, you know, twice a year, trying to tackle Henry twice a year, ETN, who didn't even play last year, right. and James Robinson. So, at some point, you're going to be have to be able to stop the run, get a stop when you need it, and then play good pass defense when you force the other team to pass. So, I'd say the team building, uh, exercise it's all it's a fun exercise to be a part of and yep. it's constantly changing And you have to be adaptable um and you have to really look at your team you have to know your team try to figure out what are the things that we do well okay do we have the players that we it, were able to do those things and if we don't we'll go out there and find them and if we if we think we're okay with where we are try to play a certain way and if we have to adjust then hopefully we can adjust and again just figure out a way to move the ball and score points offensively and get stops on defense
0: how do you want to see the players spend their time between minicamp and training camp? That's a big gap. It's got to really not concern people in the organization all over the league, but, you know, they're not under your umbrella during that time for the most part, even though I'm sure they can come in and do some things.
3: Sure. I'd say use your time wisely and judiciously. And mm-hmm. I think everybody needs a little bit of a time away from football. It's good. But I'd say from a player's standpoint, You have a four- to six-week window where you have to maintain your strength, maintain your endurance, maintain your physical performance, and we're going to give our players a program and say, if you do these things on a weekly basis, structure your week accordingly, go out there and train, then when you show up for training camp, you should be prepared to withstand the rigors of what we're about to ask you to do. So I don't think there's a concern of, you know, hopefully they're going to you know run wayward outside of the building. You know, again, make good choices, use your time wisely, stay in your routine. You can't just, okay – go full bore football. You're in the building every day. Then all of a sudden do nothing. Like you have <laughs> to get into a routine. So like simulate what a day would be like. All right, get up, have breakfast. All right. Get your training in. All right. Then when you're done at noon or one, okay, then recover, get your, your sleep. All right. Then the next day, get up and do the same thing. So the ability to just kind of stay on course and stay on routine and stay on task is important. And you have to make a commitment to doing that. The reality is it's not do football for however many months all right, do nothing for four to six weeks and then come into training camp and think you're going to be able to make it through, I would say, what's going to be probably as difficult a thing that you've done to this point. So you have to prepare your mind, you have to prepare your body accordingly, but you want to do it within reason. You have a little more flexibility, but you still have to get work done. I think that's the most important thing that they have to realize. So is that
1: sort of you having to follow the same script and the coaches kind of doing the same thing? You have to get away, but you can't get away too much from your routine?
3: No, it's very true. You know, I would say I try to stay on a routine. Your maybe day is structured a little bit differently. I think I mean I look forward to the summer because it's an opportunity to spend time with my daughters and my wife, and we maximize our opportunities together. So, and then when there's windows or pockets of time, a little bit of downtime. All right, there's something that maybe you can work on. You know, go through some college players, go through some of the college reports, start to think about what are some of the things in training camp that we need to get done. So. Everybody needs to take some time away to refresh. It's, it's good for everybody's, I would say, mind. It's good for your body, and we should do that. I mean, this way, when you come back in training camp, you're reinvigorated, you're fresh, and you're ready to go. So we all need time away. We all need time to reflect, and we all need, you know, kind of our time away. It's important to do, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. We should enjoy it, but you also want to try to stay on track and try to stay with your routine. I think the people that have routines, I mean, it's, you're going to stay on, on course regardless.
0: Two quick questions. For training camp, should I drink regular water or water with electrolytes? Electrolytes, absolutely. Okay, enhancement with electrolytes? Yes, absolutely. Okay, and will you see Top Gun Maverick? I actually already have. Yes. You have. Love it.
3: This is actually great. So, I'm one of the, if you ask me about a movie, I'm one of the worst in the history of the world. I don't, I haven't, I can't tell you the last time I went to the movie theater or I've watched a movie on TV. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, my favorite movies of all time, I would say the original Top Gun, Hoosiers, and A Few Good Men. I'd say those three, right, I mean, there might right. be some other ones about that. So my wife and I, I said, look, we got to go see this movie. And she's like, all right, well, right, we'll go. So we actually went last weekend, and um, I had been in a movie theater in forever. I loved it. It was phenomenal. Yeah, was we have been,
1: my son and I went it to go great. see it. it. It's interesting because seeing it the first time, I was – I mean, I was 16, 17 years old, and now I'm watching it, and now Tom Cruise is considered old, and I'm like, holy smokes, man. He looks man. the same. That's, I know. Yeah. He looks the
3: exact same. Yeah. Not to like go you know, movie analyst here, but there was a lot of symmetry that they were able to maintain yes. in the, the, very the, the well. second they, version relative very well to done. the original. I don't want to like spoil Mark's thunder here. I haven't but, seen yeah, it yet. Somehow I have not
0: seen it. I don't know. I don't Drew know. Doherty and said, I'm the movie guy. Drew
3: Doherty
1: said that it is the best blockbuster hit ever
3: if I'd go that far but yeah. I, I enjoyed it's it pretty dark so clothes. again it I, I, I can't believe I'm admitting I went not saw a movie but I did so
0: oh. <laughs> Nick Casario movie review and team review Nick thanks a lot for joining us thanks guys appreciate it
1: I love it Nick Casario went to a movie fantastic alright we get back separate little in the lab right here on Texas All Access
2: more Texans radio is on the way
1: what if your preferred
0: hospital could also be your primary care provider At Houston Methodist, we go beyond hospital care, offering you everything from flu shots to well-woman exams to managing your weight and cholesterol. And our primary care doctors and specialists are connected all
1: across the city. So whatever the need, wherever you live, we can be there for you.
0: Visit HoustonMethodist.org to find the care you need at locations throughout
2: Houston. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. Leading medicine. Leading medicine. Leading. Texans Radio is back.
1: Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Texans Radio studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Glad you are with me, and I am one half of the In the Lab podcast crew with the Texans, myself, and my good friend, Drew Doherty. Gosh, I don't even know. I think we've been doing this for about five years now that we've been doing in a lab and it started basically as a way to geek out about a lot of different things and once we get to the offseason I'm sure we'll do some redrafts and uh, different kinds of drafts and really geek out on numbers and things but one of the guys that we geek out about a lot because it's the offensive line and I love talking about the offensive line because quite honestly there aren't a lot of people that will talk about it intelligently but I like to and so does Drew. And one of the guys that's key is Titus Howard. Just had another baby. His second, he is back at OTAs, and he's not sleeping much, but he's getting it done, and hopefully he's going to be getting it done at right tackle. Drew and I talked about the impact of having Titus Howard back and what that does to the
4: offensive line, what it does to the run game. It's in the lab time. Let's go. I got a chance to interview Titus Howard on Tuesday. Titus is one of the best interviews you'll get on the team. Maybe the best. I always enjoy talking with him. Just had a baby, so we were chit-chatting about pacifiers and sleep and all that other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, of course. But Titus, the tackle, Titus, the offensive lineman, is a key piece of this entire football team. And I think we got to talk about his importance to what the Texans want to do on offense in the run, in the passing game, leadership-wise. I think he's a pretty valuable uh, valuable piece in the puzzle for the Texans.
1: I don't think there's any question in that. And the one thing – there are a number of things that stand out uh, from OTAs. One of them, just look at Titus, he looks like he's in great shape, tremendous shape. And he – I would say he's probably 325. Now, the 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 roster – I don't know what the roster will say, as you can see this right here. The roster <laughs> says that he is – Three twenty-two. I would say it's probably probably about right, but they never update the rosters.
4: He wears it really well with
1: the weights. Yeah, he, exactly. And that was gonna be my point. He wears it really, really well. But I think what's really needed from the tackles, in particular, because you always think about tackles and you're thinking about their pass protection, how they protect the edge. Lermie Tunsil and Titus Howard, when they were together in 2020, 2019, did a pretty good job of protecting the edge. They saw a lot of really good rushers and. This year, they're going to see a lot of great rushers. I mean, the list of rushers. I went over with uh, Mark last night. My gosh, just the AFC West alone. You're facing two yeah. every week from the AFC West alone, and you play those four teams. So, And they're, they're obviously not the only ones. But to me, it's about what those two, Laramie and Titus, provide in the run game, especially Titus, because he's got the ability to be an excellent run-blocking tackle. I still think he's got the feet to be able to protect and he's worked on his technique over the years as a pass protector. But last year he played a lot of it at guard. I don't know that that was a fit. I don't know that he really kind of understood playing guard the way that probably you'd like to see an interior player play. But look, the guy's been playing tackle his career and then you put him at guard and Mm -hmm. you're trying to get the best five you can on the field. It just, I don't think it worked for him. But now at tackle, and I go back and I told the story last night, he moved out to left tackle for the Chargers game because there was some, there were some hiccups along the way. There were some injuries, obviously Laramie, there were right. some COVID situations, and then there was just not great play at left tackle. And so they decided in the Chargers game, we're going to put him on of left tackle and he had a great game. Now he didn't face either Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack like he's going to this year, but he went out to left tackle and held it down. And I saw him the next day on Monday and I was walking on the cafeteria. He's of my locker room and I just kind of looked at him and, said uh kind of like riding a bike he knew exactly what i was pertaining to and he goes <laughs> it was my it was my highest grade of the year and if you watched you didn't need the grade to know if you just watch with your own two eyes how well he played but i think like a fish it's, being it's, back
4: in water basically
1: yeah yeah i mean he just hopped right back up on the bike and just kept pedaling like it was nothing like yeah i missed any time at all at tackle so i think that game in particular is why those in the media start thinking out loud, like, Hey, that guy could play left tackle. Maybe they're going to move there. I'm glad they didn't that's because I think in combination Tunsell and, and Titus Howard can be very, very good. I think on Titus, it's the run. It's the run game aspect, the ability to control really strong edge setters in the run game is going to be very key. And I think that's something that he's going to be able to do pretty well because If there's something about when he was drafted, I remember thinking, boy, he moves pretty well for a tackle, but he's got some nasty, and he's got the ability to move guys off the ball. So I think that's going to be a a really added benefit. You want those guys to pass, protect, and be Mm -hmm. great at it. But, man, if you get them to move some dudes off the ball, and I think that's just going to be the paradigm shift if there is one in the run game with George Warhop as the offensive line coach. He's not going to sit back and, okay, well, we're going to position block these guys or, you know, we're going to do nothing but zone block here. No, they're going to come off and they're going to hit people in the mouth. And if they don't, they're probably not going to be in the five that goes out on the field. And so I think Titus fits that paradigm shift
4: very, very well. Okay. Switching gears, which new Texan, and it can be a rookie, but which new Texan on the defensive side of the ball is the guy to watch? As far as breakout, dependability, one of the most valuable, who's that going to be for you? I think it's easy. Yeah.
1: I think it's Jalen Petrie. Yeah. Kamara Baylor. Everybody – I mean, look, when you watch a practice, and I've spent a lot of my time watching the offensive line, defensive line work down at the other end of the field. Because that you know me. I just I, I, know I love you. watching the trenches and, and I, I know where can, you're going can,
4: with this. I know where you're going the with
1: flyboys and, and all those guys in the seven on seven, they can do all they, they can whatever. <laughs> I gotta watch the trenches. Even without pads, I gotta watch the trenches.
4: And so you're watching the trenches, but your ears and the movement of your peripheral vision keeps telling you. Jalen Petra's making plays yeah. every
1: single day. And so coming off the field the other day, just happened me talking with uh, with Cal and with Mark and with Lovey Smith, and we were just kind of talking and chit chatting and and uh, I think it was Mark said something to Coach Smith about Jalen Petrie, and he was like, "You guys have only been out of here you know one day a week, every other day he's coming up with a pick, and I was like, "Yeah, he almost got that one on the flat, and he was, yeah, he's gotten that a couple times, and you just can't miss him, just the the speed with which he plays, the explosiveness, the ability to cover in the slot I mean if there's If there is a, I mean, in, in football, there's so many different difficult things in football, but when you play in defensive backfield, one of the hardest ones is to play is to cover in the slot because those guys in the slot are so quick. They know exactly what you're doing. They do everything based off of what your positioning and leverage is. And then you have to react to that and you got to do it right now. That becomes so difficult. But Petrie seems to have a knack for doing that now will he step right in and be Tyron Matthew 2.0? That's a lot to put on a guy. But if I were going to, as you said, if you're going to ask me who is the guy that could do that, not just with the Texans, anywhere across the league, I would tell you it's Jalen Petrie. Mm-hmm. So last, no, this week, so we went out on Tuesday. So I think it was on Monday. I was actually watching the Baylor Oklahoma game from last year. Cause I was wanting to look at the two tackles, Anton Harrison from Uh, Oklahoma and Connor Galvin from out of Baylor.
4: The same thing happens. This guy Petrie's ripping your eyes away from that action, isn't he?
1: Yeah. I mean, I found myself after about 10, 12 plays going, hey, dummy, you you (laughs) turn this on to watch the tackles, not to watch Petrie. He's already in the NFL. He plays for your team. So, but your eyes keep going back to that. And whether it's in coverage, whether it's the way he makes sound tackles out of the space, whether it's the way he gets off a block, whether it's the way that he blitzes and understands. Like, there was one play where – He was on the far side of the field. Oklahoma ran um, like a zone replay, and Caleb Williams pulled the ball. And the guy that was supposed to be – that was accounting for Caleb Williams had jumped on the dive. Jalen came from all the way the other side of the field, just wove himself like all the way through the traffic and got to Caleb Williams and ended up pushing him out of bounds for a one-yard gain. And he's the backside blitzing safety from the field. So he had a long way to run, but he, he just, and you could just see him seeing the game at like a different pace and vision than everybody else on the field. And he just, it was as if all the other white shirts were off the field and he was just running this path to get to Caleb Williams to make a play. Uh, Jalen Petrie is definitely going to be fun to play. The other one uh, is somebody that you talked to the other day and did Drew's dozen with, I'm really excited about, and that's Rasheed Green.
4: Mm-hmm. His
1: length, size, athleticism, uh, smarts. I think he's got what this team, a 4-3 team, is looking for and the ability to bounce inside, outside. He's a nice when fit,
4: watched, yeah, for what he can I've, do and what this team. When I watch the trenches,
1: yes, he's a guy inside. Boy, they really have a hard time with him inside because he's so, he's so long. Mm-hmm. And I get asked this question a lot. Well, okay, so what? He's got long arms. What does that allow a guy to do? Well, the more separation you get from a guy, I mean, if you're a short arm guy and you keep letting guys get into your body, they have the opportunity to maneuver you. But if you have that separation, you have that length. It's so hard for an offensive lineman to then get hands on a guy to control him. You're controlling it because your length gets on him. Uh, and I've seen that happen to a lot of guys over the years when they face longer defensive ends. They try and get their hands to him, and they, and they just can't. And and then the defensive end. Ed, Edge player whatever defense lineman is just controlling him because he's got that length and he's got that length but I'm really intrigued with what Rasheem Green brings to the defense as well what do you think
4: I like that you know when I see Green I think it's it's kind of they're not the same they're different obviously obviously but in a way it's sort of like he's a more fully realized and more accomplished so far and he might get there eventually but more accomplished Omenahu Charles Omenahu yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like Charles, there were, there were things Charles did. He had some flashes, but I think Rashim's done it a little bit, you know, more consistently. And you, to be fair to Rashimi's he's had different chances and different opportunities and that might come for Charles. I'm not at all writing him off, but I do think because of the length and because of the ability to kind of go inside and outside at times, it sort of seems a little bit like what, what the Texans were envisioning what they could do or some someday do with Omenahu. And I, perhaps that's, that's a bit of a reach in comparison, but it, it was cool talking with him last week. And he's, a, he's excited about being here. I mean, he was, yeah. he's really, um, I think he kind of, because of the the changes going on in Seattle, he was sort of out of a, a spot, yes. you know, it, exactly it had been right. taken away and now he's in a spot that is probably better suited for him. So I'm excited about that. I'm really curious, like Petrie, I love Petrie. I'm really curious yeah. about what Steven Nelson does to help, yeah, solidify things out on the edge at corner because we heard lovey smith in the run-up to the draft talking about how hey we got to get better at corner so what they do they sign nelson they use the first pick that they have on Derek stingley who i mean he should be the obvious choice for what we're doing but that's kind of right. too obvious so uh, plus you know he's he's coming back and he's not fully participating so we haven't gotten the full look at him but everything we've heard from his teammates from the coaches heck even from andre johnson who was out at practice the other day is uh, there's a lot of people really, really impressed by him. But Stephen Nelson is the guy, based on the experience, based on the way he's played the last few years, the leadership that he's going to provide, I'm pretty excited about what he can do and what he can bring to this team because Texans are going to need it if they want to get better. And he's already talking, and he, you hear the same mantras being repeated as last year. Got to get the football. Got to get the football loose. Yep. Got to get takeaways. And that was that was huge for the Texans after having just nine in 2020 they jumped up they were in the top 10 last year with 25 and they want that number to grow
1: yeah no doubt Steve nelson's a great one a great one on Rasheed green as you were talking about him it, it, maybe you, i think your comparison to a is a great one i think there's one major difference and this is why i think Rasheed green fits i think i think lovey smith and this defensive staff and the organization as a whole love the idea of a Manohu, a guy that could go inside outside mm-hmm. with that length But one major difference was Charles did not want to play inside. Mm. Charles wanted to be a 4-3 defensive end, and that's what he wanted to be. He did not want to play inside. That was fairly well known to him coming out of the University of Texas. It's just that he would win against guards rushing inside, but he didn't want to be there. When he had to play there a significant amount, now he's playing the run. He never played it well. With the Niners, I don't think he even went inside. I think Rasheem Green will go inside willingly. Mm-hmm. and will be a factor if he's inside and still gets a run play. So I think the idea of a guy like Menehu, and that's why they went after and found a guy like Rasheem Green, which mm-hmm. I absolutely love. Now, I know there's some fan. Well, wait a second. It, went, it took a lot to draft to get him signed. Look, you never know why, why that happened. Who knows? You know, maybe the the right fit just wasn't there. Maybe Seattle couldn't make up its mind. Maybe he was wait, looking for a better fit. And it just so happened to, to come in the form of the Texans. It doesn't matter how you get here, what way you got here, now that you're here and you got the opportunity to make the most of it. And, and Rasheem Green's not complaining about it. I'm certainly not complaining about it. Yeah. Neither one of us are. He's here. Now let's maximize it. But I think you're right. I think it's the idea of a guy like a who really attracted them. It's just a man who wasn't going to be a fit it's because he didn't really want to play inside. But I think Rasheem will play inside-outside with the same fervor.
4: No doubt. And uh, let's wrap things up. It was nice seeing Andre Johnson out there the other day. It was also nice seeing the other nine former Houston Texans. We saw guys like Wade Smith, who we talk with all the time. Chester Pitts saw Mike Quinn, the old quarterback. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's running that uh, seven-on-seven youth football league, and I hear it's a, a tremendous one. I need to talk with him about that because I've got some knuckleheads in my family that want to play a little football uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah those were those guys earl mitchell uh jonathan wells there were a lot of them out there yep. and it was it was fun seeing them and kylie wong man i miss Ky- kylie comes on the tv show from time to time we got to get him back yep. on because he's yep. uh he's a fun guy to talk with but lots of them are yeah, out was, there I, I did you get to cha- chat with any of them
1: i did for a little bit i talked to chester pitts for a little bit mm-hmm. um, and it's always great to get chester's view, yeah. especially on the big guys up front And if there's somebody's opinion that I trust more than Chester Pitts, I don't know who that is. That man knows it, plays it, and I'd love to get the chance to talk to him about it. So there you go. All right, we got one second left. We'll go around the NFL next right here on a Friday edition of Texans All-Access.
2: Stay tuned for more on the Houston Texans and the NFL on Texans All-Access.
1: Wildcat Golf Club is Houston's premier 36-hole golf facility, featuring the Lakes Course and the Highlands Course, located just 10 minutes south of NRG Stadium off Airport Boulevard. Courses are open seven days a week, along with a driving range and on-site dining at the Vista Grill, serving both breakfast and lunch.
4: Come enjoy elevation changes and scenic views like no other course in Houston. For tee times and more information, visit us at wildcatgolfclub.com or call the Pro Shop at 713-413-3400. 400. The
2: 400. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this final segment of this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to go around the NFL, and we're going to start right here in Houston, where earlier today I wrote a tight end position breakdown. And I shouldn't say earlier today. I only sent it earlier today because I forgot all day Thursday to send it. I had it done Wednesday night. Totally forgot to send it Thursday. Realized it Friday morning and went, oh, man, I got to send this thing. So I sent it. My good friend, Anav Libowitz, who runs our Twitter accounts and our social, just incredible, director of social media, posted it. I'm not talking two minutes later. I see that the Texans have a transaction and – They've waived one of the guys I mentioned, Daryl Daniels, and they've brought in another tight end, Mason Schreck. Rendering my article, nah not useless, but uh, needing an edit. So if you read it, realize that thing was posted about two minutes before the transaction was made. The uh, Las Vegas Raiders, I almost call them the LA Raiders. I still want to call them the LA Raiders, even though they were only there for a short time. The Las Vegas Raiders... Maintaining the sign-your-wide receivers to an extension tradition gave Hunter Renfro a two-year, $32 million extension that includes $21 million guaranteed. Now, Hunter still has 18, 19, 20, 21, I think. Yeah, so this, I think this starts the new... Maybe he's got one more year under his rookie contract, and the two-year extension will start after that. Either way, $21 million for Hunter Renfro. I think that's getting off cheap, if you want to the God's honest truth. Uh, but good for Hunter Renfro. I remember seeing him in a championship game against Alabama. I think he was a sophomore at the time, and he was a former quarterback. And, of course, you see all the pictures of him. You go, how's that guy do it? That guy does it every single week. He's arguably the best route runner in the league. He's incredible. And he is getting paid for it. And that is... We'll do it for tonight's show. Appreciate you guys being here. Thank you so much to Titus Howard, to Drew Doherty, to Mark Vandermeer, and, of course, GM Nick Casario. We'll see you on Monday. And as always, go Texans.
2: This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610.
4: It's the classic dilemma at Whataburger. You pick up your all-time favorite patty melt with two fresh all-beef patties, melted Monterey Jack cheese, grilled onions, and creamy pepper sauce. And just when you're about to dig into Waterburger's take on this delicious all time classic, someone utters the dreaded words Can I have a bite? Should you? Shouldn't you? Maybe you should just take a big bite so you don't have to answer. Ooh, glad that dilemma's over. The Whataburger Patty Melt, just like you like it. Order online to earn rewards.